Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Time now for the Mets Hot Stove Report. We bring on a terrific beat writer covering the New York Mets, Mark Carrig of Newsday. And, uh, Mark, we appreciate you coming on. And, you know, baseball is a little different than football, basketball. You know, the Mets waiting on anybody stupid as free agency starts up. Uh, anything fun like that? Well, you know, I mean, as far as what, what the Mets waiting on it? Not yeah, really. like I, I remember Rex Ryan like showing up at Bart Scott's house at midnight <laughs> when free agencies are like you see that in other sports. They should they should bring that to baseball. Well, they, you know, it would be fun if, like, in football or basketball, where I feel like it's done in like a week <laughs> or like four days, or as you know, just like in the season, right? In the baseball marathon, uh, the baseball free agency is the same kind of grind. Yeah, and especially now, and seeing so many deals get done really late uh, in the off season. So, um, you know, again, folks, if you're hoping for. An NFL style, uh, thing. <laughs> probably watching the wrong sport. Yeah, it'll take a little while. I remember two years ago, it was mid January until Yuan Cespedes was re signing with the Mets. But well, let me ask it this way if the Mets were going to be waiting on a free agent stoop, who do you think it might be? Because it's hard to kind of determine who's that one guy that, you know, should be the must sign for this Mets team. You know, that's, that's a great point. I, I think they can go in a lot of different directions. In fact, I was talking to somebody in, in you know on another club today, just another executive, kind of asking him that very same question. If it were you, what would you say? And, and he came up came up with a very interesting answer. He said Eric Hosmer, mm-hmm. and it's not one that I would think of. But you know what? It, it, you put in fact we just, we're kind of going back and forth, and texted me a lineup with his name in it. I'm like, you know what? That looks pretty good. <laughs> so uh, you know, for me, I guess my personal opinion, I'd say Lorenzo Cain. And I know he's kind of an older guy, and like you have typical concerns about a guy in their 30s playing center field. But I think uh, a guy like that in this lineup would would make a lot of things look a lot better around him. Uh, primarily, you wouldn't have to be putting a corner outfielder in center field like they would, you know, in, in potentially Michael Conforto. Mm-hmm. So you know, for me, I would say that I'd say Lorenzo Cain. But I think you can make a compelling argument for a lot of these guys. Heck, you could say bring in a big pitcher a big starting pitcher. Um, you go the opposite way and say, you know what? Do a bunch of little things and improve the margins of the roster because it won't matter unless the starters stay healthy anyway. So I, I think there's a lot of ways that they could go about this thing, and, and it's going to be an interesting thing to follow as it unfolds. Well, let's hit Lorenzo Cain. We haven't spoken a lot about him over the course of this week. Um, he's probably a four-year deal kind of guy out on center. And at least with the Mets, if he's with Ioannis Cespedes, Michael Conforto, he's got to play center field for at least three years until Cespedes' deal is up. Uh, from what you've heard uh, you know, about his level of play in, in center field, is three years too much to ask there? Because typically you, know, you can move a guy to the, the corners as, uh, as the years go on. The Mets don't really have that option, at least not until year four. Well, you're also assuming that all those three guys are going to stay healthy, or two guys in the corners are going to stay healthy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at least in Cespedes' case, that's really not an assumption you should be making. So, yeah, I think there's typical caveats with a guy like Kane. He's a guy who's going to be, you know, on the wrong side of 30, playing center field, had some hammy issues in the past. Uh, yeah, obviously a lot of risk there. The other side of that is he's a legitimate center fielder, makes the guys around him better because you don't have to play them out of position. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very difficult to find a guy to produce at that level uh, playing center field. The guy can hit. 
You know, that's the other thing. Is there's a certain floor that he's got as far as the offensive might make it worthwhile, given all of those risks. And again, you can find risk factors like that for everybody. Sure. Um, but to me, I, I, when I look at a guy like Lorenzo Cain, and this is just my personal opinion, um, I, I wonder if it's worthwhile to take the risk because, again, the things that he can do, uh, you know, the sort of the side effects of having a guy like that in this lineup, I think, are big. He wasn't a leadoff hitter in Kansas City. Would that be where you'd slot him in with the Mets? I don't ever look at players uh, as far as where they're going to hit a lineup, unless it's you know a guy that's hitting in the middle. You know, other than that, like I, I don't know if you know I, I look at guys as a leadoff guy or whatever. I, I think he's a guy that can produce. And if you were hitting third, if you were hitting fourth, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. If he's hitting first, and so be it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I just don't look at it. I don't look at player. Uh, players is like where they're going to hit in the lineup. I just think that's too narrow a way to look at it. What you're looking for for a baseball team is someone's going to help you score more runs because if you score more runs, you're going to win more games. And so I think where they're hitting in the lineup has very little to do with it, whereas I think whether they get on base and hit for some power has a lot to do with it. And so, you know, and then obviously what they bring on the defensive side of the ball too. So, um, yeah, I don't know whether, you know, lead off, middle, whatever. I just think he's a good productive player. And teams, you know, like the Mets are trying to win something next year. Uh, they can use a bunch of good, productive players. And he certainly got on base plenty last year, 363 uh, on base percentage uh, in Kansas City. As we chat with Mark Craig of Newsday right now. You wrote a story yesterday about, you know, the Mets, where they might be financially, what they might be able to do. 25 to $30 million to spend this offseason. Is that that's the expectation uh, from where we sit right now? Well, that is me doing basic arithmetic yeah. and listening to the general manager of the team who said in September that they were at 155 on opening day, mm-hmm. $155 million, and that he doesn't think they're going to be there again. So if you do that and if you take what they've already got committed to contracts uh, for next year, which now you have to include the two guys that, you know, their options were picked up. So it's another $15 million. And as Drupal Cabrera and Jerry Blevins, it brings you to somewhere around 70 million dollars then you add what they're going to have to pay for guys through arbitration and and they've got a bunch of those guys Mm -hmm. obviously uh that's another 40 something million dollars okay uh that brings you to about 110 and then you've got all the pre-arbitration guys now the minimum salary next year is something like five hundred and forty-five thousand dollars. well as you know no team actually pays the minimum for players in fact, the Mets use a formula based on performance. And, you know, depending on what a player does, it, it could be much higher than that 545. So I estimated it was something like six, seven million bucks. That brings you to that $120 million. Uh, you know, and if you add 30 to that, that's 150. So if they're going to come down from 155, I feel like $30 million is kind of about right. Now, there's a lot of flexibility in that number. Obviously, all the arbitration right now, those are projections, okay? Nobody's settled, so you don't know what they're actually making. So there's going to be some flex there. Um, Depending on what they've got for the pre-arbitration guys, there's going to be some flex there. And the other part of this, too, is that David Wright, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, his contract is $20 million, but 75% of that is covered through insurance if he's on the 60 uh, throughout all that time. And, And there's a chance that that could happen. So that's another element here where... There's a little bit of flexibility, but I think the point is, uh, you know, 30 million bucks is about where they're at right now. That can change, obviously, um, but when you look at their public comments and you just add up the salaries of what they've got on the books right now, 
that $30 million range is, is right about where uh, what they've got going into the offseason. Now, they have, in in recent years, made exceptions at times for you know a star player like a Ioannis Cespedes, someone who could put butts in the seats. Is there a free agent out there that you think fits the Mets and also would rile up the fan base to a degree that, hey, you know, you can expect more people showing up to the games, not just wins losses because Eric Hosmer, let's say, is in the lineup. I don't know. Do you think you Darvish would fit in that category? I think it'd be a draw, you know, when he pitches once every five days. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And he's got some buzz to him, you know, a great player, uh, somebody that, obviously would tap into a different demographic here too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a big part of it in a place like New York city, right? Like, I mean, there's imagine what that ballpark would be like every five days with you Darvish on the mound. So, I mean, I don't know, like I haven't really thought of it that much in those, in those yeah. terms, but in my head, like that's the kind of name that we're talking about. I think there'd be certainly a ton of buzz there. We're talking again with Mark Craig of Newsday. Um, how about second base? Do, could you see the Mets standing pat and, and T.J. Rivera, Wilmer Flores, uh, maybe Jose Reyes is back in that mix? If it's Jubal Cabrera, is going to be a third and let that roll. Could you see them pulling off a trade where names like D. Gordon, Jason Kipnis, Ian Kinsler, uh, you know, Brian Dozier could all be available? Where do you think they stand at that position? <clears throat> That's a great question. I think uh, they certainly could stand pat there. But I think if they were to do that, that would put a lot of pressure on them to upgrade elsewhere. So now you're looking at something in the corner outfield, maybe a center fielder, maybe even upgrade it first in that scenario. So I guess the short answer is, yeah, they could stand pat there. But I think it would create other issues for them to have to address. Uh, you mentioned trade, and I think that's going to be something that's very important to keep an eye on in this regard. Because you just ticked off a bunch of those names. Uh, Brian Dozier is the one that stands out to me. Uh, hits for so much power and yeah. obviously something that fits the Mets very well. Um, you know, maybe they get lucky again. There. Remember, they got lucky a few years ago. They traded Jonathan Neese for Neil Walker. That was a good one. Uh, yeah. Except for and, the other part of the thing. You know, well, yeah, right. You know, here's <laughs> the thing, too. You know, I mean, that trade came from the Pirates' side. So, you know, like that, I remember that was in the winter meetings, and like I feel like it came, to, it came together quickly. And I started hearing stuff about it, and, and you know what I'd heard is that it was a pirate that came to them, hmm. that, hey, maybe this is an idea that you'd like to explore, and I feel like uh, you know they obviously were all about it. Uh, but anyway, it, things like that happen in the offseason. I guess, I guess that's the biggest point, is that you just never know. And what I think is interesting about the Mets is that uh, you know, they've got some pieces that might be intriguing. First of all, they don't have the prospects to make these kind of trades get no. that out of the way first. However, you know, you never know what kind of controllable player might fit a team's needs. And that's why the Jonathan Neese, Neil Walker example is something to keep in mind. Cause I think a lot of Mets fans would have driven John Neese to Pittsburgh, <laughs> but obviously there's a team out there in the pirates that saw that he, Hey, this is a controllable guy. We need an arm. Uh, let's make something happen. And I think, you know, Obviously, John, and I don't want to poke fun at Jonathan. He's like, you know, everyone wants the bag on. like, look, the guy's a legit major league pitcher. Sure. Been, and he's certainly better than I would be out there on the mound. But uh, the point is, like, you know, that's not a guy that you would have thought in that winter time was going to be the key to filling a big-time positional need for the Mets. And it turned out that he was. So I think that's something to keep in mind. There are a bunch of guys on this roster that might fit into that mold. For instance... Uh, if you overlook the fact that, that Seth Lugo 
has an elbow that might be iffy. And believe me, there might be teams that, that would be willing to do that. Perhaps he's somebody. No, I remember his name popping up before the trade deadline in July, where the, the Cubs right. had interest, supposedly. They all love right. the spin rate. Right. And that, but, see, you know, it's a little different now because, again, there's, there's that big, giant work there, right? He's got you know, the elbow thing at some of the DL and whatever. So I think there's a bunch of guys like that with the Mets. Uh, that fall into that category. I think Zach Wheeler and Steven Matz fall into that category mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a way. Uh, Robert DeSelman is a name that I've heard from, from other clubs. You know, when they talk about, uh, you know, guys that might, uh, you know, be you know, available, you know, especially there's so many teams that look, are looking for young arms, I hear DeSelman's name pop up some. And so as a fan, you might be like, well, fine, we'll drive him there, okay? Mm. But the point is that you just never know uh, you know, what player, even guys that are controllable, uh, you might not necessarily think are even available or you'd want to move or, or that, that, you know, maybe nobody wants it. You'd think that, like, you're, you know, the market's pretty limited. But, uh, you know, that can just depend from team to team. And I think it's something to keep an eye on in this case. Yeah, it just takes one. Uh, a team, you know, loves defense. Juan Ligaris, uh, you know, Wilmer Flores, if you, you love the platoon splits or, um, you know, you think that he could be a, a terrific everyday player. Uh, one more quickly for you, Mark. I mean, just um, terrible news today in the baseball world. Roy Halladay dying in, in a plane crash. Um, how much did you come across him in, in your career? I know that um, maybe one of the, the special pitching performances you had a chance to, to see involved him. Well, yeah, you know, this is my 10th year. This was my 10th season covering baseball. And, you know, you, you cover so many games as a beat writer. I, I feel like very few of them actually stand out in your mind. But, and, and this is a kind of a random one, but to me, the best pitch game I've ever seen, it, I've ever seen, is Roy Halladay. And, and it wasn't even that playoff no-hitter or anything like that. It was a September game in 2009. I was covering the Yankees at the time. And obviously, they went on to win the World Series. Uh, so they had a pretty good team. Uh, Halliday's pitching in Toronto, and what he did that night was like artistry. I mean, he threw like a, a one-hit shutout. Uh, I think the team made an error behind him. He gave up like an extra base hit to Ramiro Pena, of all people. Walked a couple of guys, but struck out nine. But the thing I remember was that I don't think he missed a single spot mm. in that game. And, and the one thing that Roy Halliday did that I feel like uh, people may have forgotten is that you know, he's one of these guys that everybody all of a sudden wanted to throw splitters and cutters and sliders and so the way that he did it. To be able to command both sides of the plate the way that he did. Um, you know, those Yankee teams had some great hitters, and you asked them all, who do they hate facing the most? Roy Halladay. And they saw a bunch of him, obviously, you know, pitching in Toronto. And that's where, you know, I saw him a lot early in my career covering baseball. I mean, he was just an artist. He was brilliant. And so, you know, I didn't get to know him, obviously. I never covered him. Uh, I had a couple conversations with him. It seemed like a friendly enough guy, but you know, I think like everybody else, you just appreciate the fact that he's a brilliant, brilliant pitcher. And, and you know, obviously, you know, forty years old, very, very sad news today. Yeah, incredibly sad. Uh, Mark Craig of Newsday. Uh, we appreciate the time tonight, Mark. Thank you. You got it, man. All right, so Mark Craig with our Mets Hot Stove Report. We can take some calls on this T-shirt Tuesday when we come back, 800-321-0710. The number, uh, you get on the air with a call, you win yourself a T-shirt. Uh, we'll do it uh, this Tuesday and, and keep it going from here. Uh, it's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. All right, T-shirt 
Tuesday here in the Sports Zone. We're doing it for the first time. Uh, you get on the air with a phone call, you get yourself a free T-shirt. 800-321-0710. We can talk some Mets, some Giants, and we'll be mixing in some uh, some more guests along the way. Um, well, let's go right now to Tom in Wyckoff. How are we doing tonight, Tom? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks so, for calling. The, the Yankees have just like taken over the newspapers, the you know, except for the station here, and the Mets really got to do something more than any free agent in order to get back the fan base and get us back on the forefront of all the advertising and all the, you know, the drama that goes. Yeah, you got to get excited about this team and feel like it did last offseason. Right. So I would take Wheeler, Harvey, Syndergaard, and whoever else they want and trade them for either Trout or Stanton because that's the only person that are actually going to make a difference. All those free agents that fellow was talking about, that's not going to do a hill of beans. They should bring any manager in. It's just not going to do anything. Yeah, well, well, Trout, um, you know, Trout's, and thanks for calling in, Tom, uh, in a T-shirt, but Trout, you know, is not going to be available. John Carlos Stanton is. um, Giving up all of those pitchers, you know, giving up Cindergard for John Carlos Stanton. Yes, it's exciting to have a Stanton in the lineup, but you know, Cindergard is part of what makes the Mets exciting and what gives them a chance to do some damage when they get into the postseason. So, uh, no, I would not be in a hurry to do that. If there's another way to land Stanton, great. Uh, it's hard to see what that is. Grab another call here, 800 Let's go to Allen East Brunswick. How are we doing tonight, Allen? Hey, Pete, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. What's going on? Hey, listen, can I talk a little the Yankees for just a minute? Sure. I think the Yankees need a uh, manager they should get would be John Flaherty. I think he's with the times and stuff like that, and he knows the best how to handle the players. The Yankees should be very careful to just fine-tune the team as much as they can and get a, a like a two- or three-starter and then keep all the veterans to guide the team, the young players, uh, on the you know, road to uh, you know an uh, upcoming season, and that would help them a great deal. Yeah, I, I'm not sure in love I'd be with Flaherty uh, being the being the manager, but you know, I, you could argue he has familiarity with the team. I'd say if you're going to take someone from the broadcast team, move him down. I would like David Cohn. Uh, you know, that's a guy who you know is familiar with the analytics. Now, you know, he had a lot of success in his big league career. I'm sure he's made a couple of bucks. Maybe he wouldn't want that kind of job. But uh, yeah. if we're just talking, the, you know, plucking somebody from the broadcast team, I know fans have talked about Paul O'Neill as well. Uh, Coney would be the guy I'd be interested in. And that would be a good choice, too. But I don't know how John Flaherty would relate to the players, too, especially young players. And as for the Giants, I think they need to uh, reconsider what their salary cap is. They spent too much money on yes. Eli Manning. It's $21 million. DRC, um, they spent a lot of money on JPP. Uh, they got all these players. Uh, uh, Brandon Marshall is not even playing. And they spent a lot of money on him. So they couldn't afford to use any of that money, free agent money, to buy uh, to get any uh, alignment. Well, uh, they could have uh, taken the Marshall money and put it towards, say, you know, Andre Whitworth, uh, the left tackle for the Rams, and, and short up, you know, one one issue there. Uh, you know, that was something that they had to figure out how to do this offseason. They bet that Eric Flowers would be just fine on left tackle. You know, it's been a disastrous uh, decision. And you could look at the last few weeks and say, well, left tackles, they make the difference. Well, look at the first three weeks of this year when they had a full complement of players on offense and they still couldn't get anything done because the offensive line couldn't protect Eli Manning. So that was a, a huge misfire uh, by the Giants overall not to address the line. But, I, I, you know, you can get out of a lot of those contracts in the NFL, but when you have a $200 million offseason, you spend that much money on your defense as they did two years ago, that bill comes home eventually, and it hampers you and handcuffs you from being able to make the changes that you want to make. And it's why 
you know, this year for the Giants, I don't think it's just a bad year. I, I think you're looking at a franchise that's going to have to make big changes, and it's going to take a little while to make up for some thin drafts, even if some first-round picks worked out for the Giants over the years. They're very thin as a roster overall. They haven't been successful with those later-round draft picks. And the fact that they don't have, you know, a ton of money to spend because of how much they've spent in the past. You know, those are, you know, the two areas to find some quick fixes potentially, but they're, they're not they're not there. there. There's not, you know, guys on the practice squad or backups that are ready to start and, you know, take over a position and then free agency wise, they're not going to have a ton of money against cap. So, you know, again, trying to win with Eli Manning at 37 years old next year with the limited things that you could do for this roster. I don't see it as realistic. I think that they got to be looking two, three, four years ahead, which means you're looking at that next quarterback, and it's about him. It's about developing him, and you can have Eli be the starter next year and serve as a mentor, but that's got to be the transition that happens there with the Giants. I think this year was their last best chance to put together a championship team, and it failed. 800-321-0710 to get involved. Well, Art Stapleton of the record, join us, uh, talk some football giants a little bit later on the show. Uh, we'll take some more calls as we roll on on a T-shirt Tuesday. You get on the air, you get a free T-shirt. But Boots is uh, taking everyone's info. We'll mail it right out. So, yeah, easy stuff. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. It's a match not often found in nature, but somehow we've done it. I don't have a problem with Mark DeRosa getting What? What qualifications does he have to be a major league manager? He knows the league. He follows it on TV. So do we. We know the league. We follow it on TV. Mm -hmm. Maybe he'd be a good leader. You just said the word that's what matters, and that's leadership. Pete McCarthy and Sal Licata team up every Wednesday in the Sports Zone, 6 till 9 on 710 WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. All right, college football playoff rankings come out every Tuesday night. Uh, came out recently here. Same top four Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson. Big shakeup after that, though, with Penn State and Ohio State falling this weekend. So now Oklahoma played a wild game uh, in, uh, in Bedlam this weekend. They're sitting at five. TCU 6. Those two teams play this weekend, Oklahoma and TCU. Miami is 7. They play number 3 Notre Dame this weekend. Uh, So things could get interesting very quickly. And then Wisconsin from the Big Ten uh, sitting there at number 8. So, um, you know, a little bit of a shuffle below the top four. I I still don't understand how Georgia's ahead of Alabama, if there's any common sense involved in this. But, um, you know, that's where it is at the moment. And at some point, you know, that'll get shaken up in the SEC with the, uh, you know, an SEC championship game being part of the year as well. And you could have Alabama and Georgia, if they continue to win, go head-to-head in that game. What would be interesting, though, is they could play the SEC championship game, and with some of these losses coming uh, for those teams down below, like Ohio State and Penn State, you could have the loser of Alabama-Georgia still make the college football playoff, and then what are they going to be, the four? And the other is the one, and they would just play again in the football playoff for the game that actually matters that's tough to see. I'm sure that's not something that the college football playoff would want. I don't think anybody would want to see a rematch and essentially make the SEC championship game meaningless. Uh, but I'll be I'll be curious to see how, how all of that plays out and if that's the case or if you just say, hey, listen, they lost head-to-head to Bama. If you're Georgia, let's say they're out and we're not keeping them around. Or you can put them at three. 
and you know not have them match up at least uh, the first round of the college football playoff. So uh, that's probably where the intrigue lies right now. Uh, 800-321-0710. Let's rip through some calls, get you guys some T-shirts. It's a T-shirt Tuesday. You call in, you get on the air, you get a free T-shirt. So uh, let's go to Susan in Brooklyn. How are we doing tonight, Susan? Great. How are you, Pete? I'm good. Thanks for calling yeah. in. What's going on? Well, I was shocked about Roy Holiday, but do you know there's actually a Met connection? What is Uh, that? Okay, somehow with the trade, originally it was either Darno or um, Syndergaard that was in the Philly system. Yeah, it was Darno. It was Darno. See, I was just thinking about that, and I was just thinking, it's just like, um, I mean, like, with these players, with the when they get their small planes and stuff, it's just. I mean, I guess you can't ban them from doing this. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I was just reading. His dad was a commercial pilot, so wow. you know he had experience in the family flying planes. Uh, as far as I, I could tell, with, with what I was able to read, he's not new to flying planes. Now the plane that that he crashed. He'd only owned it for two months, but wow. um, he was an experienced pilot. He, he had flown a lot. So, um, yeah, it's just a shame. I don't know if he was flying somewhere or just flying for fun over the Gulf of Mexico from Florida. And this is what, you know, became his hobby in retirement. Um, but uh, it's it's sad no matter what. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Eric Haas, how would you feel about him coming to the Mets? I mean, I think he starts to make more sense the more that you look at it. And, and thanks for calling in, Susan. I, I was talking about Mike Moustakas plenty over the course of the season. I think with his Jubal Cabrera's option being picked up, though, th- this is where are you going to get the big bat that's going to be in the middle of the lineup with Cespedes and Conforto? And again, you're wishing on those two that they're able to stay healthy enough to play in 130 plus games this year. And that might be a tall ask. So you need someone that's capable of hitting in the middle of the lineup. Now is Hosmer realistic with the Mets and what they've been willing to spend over the years? Maybe not. And maybe it is fantasy talk, but if you want to talk about, you know, how the Mets go from, you know, the dismal 2017 season to bouncing back and being a championship contender, you know, Hosmer would be a pretty good place to start. Now, um, you know, he's thought of as a, a leader and, you know, that he might be able to handle New York a little better than Moustakis. That's what, uh, you know, a lot of the writers have uh, have picked up on. You know, I, I haven't had experience. I interviewed Mustakas when he was like a pup and uh, was playing in the Futures game before he, um, you know, even made it to the major leagues. But uh, for Hosmer, you know, this is a potential big bat. Now, he's had some up seasons, some down seasons. But if you're the Mets, we talk about the outfield. Yeah, it's great to say J.D. Martinez, sign him up. Well, now you're going to play Michael Conforto in center field for three years. Lorenzo Cain, sign him up. He's 32 years old next year. You're going to play him in center field for three years and feel comfortable with that defense. You know, those are significant questions. So if you start to look at where the Mets can add an impact bat, there aren't that many spots. There's third base where you have Boustakis and um, I don't want to put Todd Frazier on that list, but you know you have Boustakis who could be a, a pretty big bat. Second base, it's not that kind of bat available. You get a leadoff bat at second base, but you're not getting a 3-4-5 hitter. Uh, Jay Bruce, I, I think, does check it off because he could play right field and first base. He can cover you if Dom Smith struggles, but that's why first base is interesting to me, where if you sign Hosmer, you could deal Dom Smith for a second baseman, you can sign an arm in the bullpen. You can sign, even if it's a Jason Vargas type in the rotation, and you're gambling on the starting pitching being healthy this year. But now you have a lineup that could scare some people. So 
Uh, I like that idea. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest swing that the Mets could take. You know, if you try building the lineup and how they get competitive, if it's going to be one big piece, Hosmer's the big piece. The other way to do it is to, you know, get some decent pieces at second in the outfield uh, at first base, two arms in the bullpen, a starting pitcher, and, you know, just trying to fill all the holes. But if there's one big piece that can excite the fan base and give them a star, I think Hosmer's that guy. Uh, 800-321-0710. Let's go to Jeff in Jersey. What's up, Jeff? Hey, Pete. Um, I, I know you are definitely down on Dominic Smith, but but let me give some weight to his defense. Uh, that is actually an unintended pun. Um, <laughs> they they threw these guys to the wolves. They bring them up. There's no – all the veteran leadership is sent off. Mm-hmm. The manager's out the door. Mm-hmm. I heard Francesa say that he quoted somebody who's saying that the Mets was the worst clubhouse he'd ever been in. Um, well, I, I mean, clearly it was, it was messy at the end of the season. You're right. There wasn't a whole lot of veteran leadership after you know the first week or so that Dom Smith was up because uh, I, I believe he did cross he crossed paths with Jay Bruce and Neil Walker for a little bit there but not long um, but my concern would be I, I he showed more power than I expected but he wasn't as complete a hitter as I thought he might be and defensively he's supposed to be a really good defensive first baseman I didn't see that and he lost a lot of weight going into the season, but then he put it all back during the year. So is he going to be able to stay in shape to be an effective player every day? I mean, these are important questions with Dom Smith. That's why I am down on him, but you also look at the roster where they can add big bats. I mean, first base, a natural place to go. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why, I mean, that that's my thought on, on, on Dom. If you're trying to put together a championship roster here, that's one of the areas where you can really have a big bat and, you know, second base, even third base, the way it sets up this offseason, center field, you know, these aren't areas where you're typically finding that big slugger who can hit in the middle of the lineup with Conforto and Cespedes. Uh, 800-321-0710. We'll take sports calls when we come back. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. You're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Tomorrow night. Sal Licata in uh, on a Wednesday. It'll be himself and, uh, and me going head-to-head in uh, some ways. But uh, Sal and I always have a lot of fun together on Wednesdays. Must much must listen. I don't like blowing smoke up your butt, but uh, we have a lot of fun on Wednesday nights. So be sure to tune in tomorrow uh, between 6 and 9. We'll be able to you know map out how each of us sees how this Mets offseason should go and and much more in the Giants and what um the debacle Sunday was is the the fallout and where they go from here uh, and we'll have Art Stapleton of the record later on tonight for more on Big Blue he'll join us on the other side of the news update meanwhile it's t-shirt Tuesday you call in and get on the air you get yourself a free t-shirt 800-321-0710 number uh, let's go to Michael and Q Gardens how are we doing tonight Michael what's up Michael you still there all right. Uh, next up, we'll go to Kevin in Bernardsville. What's up, Kevin? Hey, Pete. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? Hey, listen. You know, I, I wanted to talk to you about why the Mets haven't really. You're not hearing any buzz that they've considered this Otani guy from Japan, who, by all accounts, is an outstanding young pitcher. He's like a young, you, you know, Vu Darvish, 
which, you know, it makes no sense to pay Darvish the kind of money he's going to command uh-huh. when you're paying him for all of the accomplishments he's already had. Well, now, this is and the thing. Otani gets to pick his team. You can't, you can't separate yourself financially. So Otani's going to go to the team that he wants to go to. I don't think anyone has a clear idea what that is, but that's always tough for the Mets because they get matched up against the Yankees in that kind of situation. And if you're an international player, I, I think – Unless there's something odd in your background, you're going to naturally gravitate towards the Yankees. They're the famous international team. You know, and that very well may be true, Pete, but what I, what puzzles me uh-huh. is why they didn't even send anybody yeah. out to see him. It's almost a defeatist attitude to say, you know what, he's not going to pick us. Yeah, I, I, I would have liked to see him send somebody out there to, to take a look at him. I think about half the teams in baseball did. Uh, the Mets weren't one of them. I... I, I you know, I, I know you're saying defeatist attitude. I do think the odds are just stacked against the Mets on this. And um, what I'm curious about with Otani is he really wants to get here, but d- d- would he rather be a pitcher or a position player? And if he could do both, which league would he rather do both in? It's a lot easier to do that in the American League where you could pitch and then, you know, DH really uh, a couple of days a week rather than playing the outfield. So I'm I'm very curious what happens with Otani and Forget about the fact he's given up like a hundred something million dollars to come two years early. He might eventually decide, you know what, it's better off to wait two years, especially as Major League Baseball and the Japanese League have to uh, sort out what the posting system is going to be. It's not the same system it's been in the past. That has expired. Uh, Greg in Jersey. What's up, Greg? What's up, Pete? How you doing, man? I'm good. What's going on? Um, I just wanted to throw some names out for you for this offseason. Um I think one of the one of the names that Hart mentioned last night was Wellington Castillo. I think he'd be a perfect fit to platoon with Darno. Uh, he's got power. If you look at his caught stealing rate, he's forty nine percent last year, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a tremendous upgrade. I mean, his, his defense. I mean, if you look at scouting reports, they say his defense takes a knock in terms of framing pitches, and he's got um, a lot of pass balls. Well, not pass balls, but uh, wild pitches. Um, but I think he would be a, def- a great defensive upgrade. I do. I think the Mets have more important holes to fill than catcher. Uh, but I, I, you know, listen. If they're able to, you know, fill some of those holes and then come back around to it, let's say they find a team that really likes Travis Darno or likes what Kevin Ploiecki showed down the stretch, and you could get something for one of those two. That would be a place to go too. But when you have holes at second, uh, the outfield, uh, you know, two relief pitchers, a starting pitcher. That's that's a lot you got to get done, and to be a catcher, they could probably get by with what they have and still be a a competitive club. Eight hundred three two one zero seven ten. 